Welcome to Fruitful and Multiplying, a podcast from the Jewish Fertility Foundation. I'm your host, Ilana Frank. The first commandment in the Bible is to be fruitful and multiply. But what if, due to infertility, that path isn't so straightforward? This is a podcast about the fertility path less traveled. From the inspiring and the inspired, and the cutting-edge technology and science that continues to evolve to make it all possible. All right, here we go. All right, I am so excited to introduce you all to my new friend, Stephanie Butnick. Stephanie is the deputy editor of The Tablet Magazine and a host of its weekly podcast, Unorthodox. I told her a second ago that I am so impressed and I kind of feel like I'm with somebody who's actually famous. Um, She is the author, along with her co-hosts, of the newish Jewish Encyclopedia, From Abraham to Zabar's and Everything in Between. She's written for the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the Washington Post. Stephanie actually interviewed me for the Unorthodox podcast, and it turned out she had an infertility journey of her own. So now the tables have turned. Stephanie, thank you so much for being here today. I'm really, really excited to dig deep and just learn all about your family building journey. Thank you so much for having me. It's it's a thrill to be here. I have to say it's so nice to not be asking someone questions. Um, <laughs> now I'm I also, on the spot. Yes, yeah. but like I feel like I'm out of control because usually when you, when you have the questions, you know where the conversation's going to go. And I have no, you know, I have a sense of where it's going, but you know. I like controlling things. Well, and I think that that are, I hear you and I'm a control freak myself and I hear you. um, But honestly, this will be a safe space. Our audience really just wants to understand, you know, first of all, that they're just not alone in their own journey. Everybody's journey is a little bit different, but we really want to kind of, you know, dig a little deeper with you. So would you be open, I guess, just sharing how your family was built and where in the journey you were at when you shared with me that little tidbit of information. You know, it's so funny. So we recorded our interview with you for our Mother's Day episode, and we wanted to do a segment on the Jewish Fertility Foundation and just sort of showing just sort of another side of the story um, for for Mother's Day. That's what we try to do, Um, especially we've been doing Unorthodox for more than five years now. It's hard to find something. You have to find something. You really just sort of want to bring people interesting Jewish stories, you know, each around all points of the Jewish year and and the regular year and um, just every week. And so when we were talking, you were sharing your story and I sort of said, I kind of have a story of my own, but I do feel weird saying it because I, I don't know where to consider myself in this world. Like my journey feels a little different. And, and I, I, it was really only when you and I spoke that I sort of started parsing it for myself and wondering like, how how do I tell that story and how do I see myself in these larger narratives? Um, so yeah, a bit about me. I got married in 2017 to uh, my wonderful husband, Ben Cohen. Um, and like any good Ben Cohen is, he is an Ashkenazi Jew um, and he, as am I, and his, and this, the, and right, around my bridal shower. So a few months before our wedding, his mother got diagnosed with breast cancer. And after that, um, she took a test. She After that, she did genetic testing um, and it turned out she was a BRCA carrier. And so she had two children, Ben and his wonderful sister, Sarah, and they had to get tested, right? Because, you know, in, in addition to what 
my now amazing mother-in-law always, she always was amazing. She's now my mother-in-law um, was going through, they, there was this question of like, okay, you have BRCA, there's a 50% chance that any one of your children have it. And so they did the genetic testing and, you know, we sort of know what it is for women. There's a, a, a high, highly increased likelihood of um, breast or ovarian cancer. And for men, there's, there's a heightened risk as well, but it's, it's sort of lesser known. I think a lot of people don't really even know that men can have it. And so I think what we were all hoping was that Sarah didn't have it, right? That would just really mean a lot for her um, and her life. And, and she didn't have it, um, which was amazing. And then Ben got his results and he was a BRCA1 carrier, um, which made sense. The statistics, you know, bore, bore themselves out. Um, and it was a relief in many ways because it's much, it's much harder toll on a woman. Um, however, it, you know, it, it had all sorts of implications for us in a weird way. You know, he will have to do some more advanced screening, um, hopefully because we know this information, we will be equipped to deal with it um, and to catch anything early. Um, but it suddenly became this weird thing because this all happened in the context of our, our of us starting our own family. And so when we decided we wanted to have kids, we sort of said, okay, what do we do with this information that we have that there's a 50% chance that any of your children, any of your offspring will also carry this gene, this genetic mutation. Um, and so we didn't know what to do. I mean, I think a lot of people encounter this in different ways. There's such an amazing amount of genetic testing that happens now, and particularly among the, the Jewish community where we, we sort of do see a lot of these, these, you know, these commonalities. Um, we started talking to people um, and we talked to a doctor at RMA in New York. And, you know, he was sort of, he said what doctors say, which is right. Like, I can't tell you what to do, which is really hard in those situations. You want sort of someone to say, you have to do this. You have to do IVF. You have to screen this out because um, you don't have to, right? It's a, it's a really hard decision to make. So we ultimately decided to, to do that, that we had this, this, this knowledge, we had this information um, and we were able to um, take the steps needed to sort of make sure that there would be no BRCA for our children. So the beginning of our family journey like started with IVF in a really funny way, right? I mean, it's not funny, but it's, it's, it's different, right? <laughs> Tell us like, how that's funny. Yeah. No, but it was, it was interesting. This was our first stop. Our first yeah. stop was all these doctors to talk about this. And then we made the decision. So whereas most people come to IVF um, after a lot of, 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 of just struggle and challenge and, and baggage, I sort of came in pretty much like a blank slate. I, this was just what we were going to have to do. And so I kept thinking to myself that we were really lucky, like how lucky we were that we were just starting fresh here. And like anything that happened was just what we would know, right? Like we wouldn't have known years of trying. So we were, we were really, really fortunate. And I feel like I kept having that in my head. And so I was like, okay, you know what? We'll do a retrieval. We're normal, right? Like, I mean, normal, whatever. I was sort of like, we're fine. We don't, we don't, as far as we know, have any issues. Um, this should be pretty cut and dry. Uh, we're just going this route for genetic reasons. And I think I sort of like held on to that a little bit, both the feeling of like, I'm not really able to, you know, commiserate with other people about this process because I, it's not emotional for me. I mean, it's, 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 it's emotional in its own way, but it's not, it's not as layered. And so, you know, when people would find out that I was doing it, they'd want to talk. And I'd always just feel a little bad. Like I didn't have the full, like, I, I don't, I don't know where to consider myself, but you know, I went through it. So we did um, a retrieval. Um, we got 18 eggs, which I felt was like very auspicious um, <laughs> as, a, as a Jewish girl. It's like great high. It's amazing. 
And then you watch that number fall, right? Mm -hmm. You have the natural attrition. You have the, you know, whatever they, whatever happens each day, you get the update of how many, um, first of all, how many fertilized, how many last for two days, three days, everything. Um, And then the number that goes out for genetic testing. For me, who had kept holding onto this idea that I was fine, everything was fine. This should be very simple. Um, Four eggs went out for testing. Um, Sorry, four four embryos went out for testing. Um, And at my age, I was maybe 30. I don't even remember. This was very recently, but I was, I guess I was 32 or 33. Um, there was a 25% chance of chromosomal abnormality and a 50% chance of BRCA. So if you have four embryos, the math broke really crappily, right? One was chromosomally abnormal, two had BRCA. So 25% and 50%, none of them overlapped. And there was one remaining. And so I had this moment where I was like, wait, what? This wasn't supposed to happen. This was supposed to be relatively straightforward, right? I had my Google Doc. I had all the levels every single day. Everything was doing this. I was doing like everything was being monitored. And then I realized, oh, this is a total crapshoot. And even though I came in and I kept thinking of myself as someone who was sort of protected from a lot of the emotions surrounding this, I was like, cut and dry, science, numbers, this, that, like, we're going to, we're going to solve this, um, which is like the kind of person I am, right? I like, I like information. I like problem solving. I like clear answers. This wasn't that, right? All of a sudden I was sort of confronted with this fact of like, oh, I, I wasn't perfect at this. I didn't do as well as I thought I should do. Um, and that was really emotionally very challenging for me. Where was your husband? You're the researcher, numbers, stats. Where's your husband? He's the same, but he understood that this was different. I mean, look, there's also this really interesting thing. We're doing this because of something that is in his family, is his. Mm -hmm. And I think there's like a lot of, I I never felt mad about it. It it sort of felt like the right thing to do. Um, And especially after the the numbers broke the way they did, I was like, oh, wow, this is real. Like this thing is actually going to affect 50% of our, our offspring. And so in a weird way, it happening like that validated the decision we made to go through with IVF, um, which I think maybe in my mind, I'd been like, what if we rolled the dice? We did. It was good we didn't roll the dice. Um, but, you know, he he was extremely supportive and we, we gamed it out. How many do we want to know that we don't have to do another retrieval? Because at the time, mm-hmm. like a second retrieval, it just seemed like, we, you know, and then we sort of talked about it a lot. And I like tried to, you know, I had a lot of feelings. This was during the pandemic. This was, you know, we, this was in June of 2020 that we did this. So how long Um, had you been married already? We had been married for almost three years. Um, This was like wearing gloves to the office and met like, I, who, I didn't know anything. And so it was, it it was this height, everything was heightened. Um, Every single thing that we were doing, the office had just reopened and started trying, we had sort of been in, conversation before the pandemic. Um, and then in June, they were like, okay, we could start. And so I kind of said, all right, I need to attack this second retrieval, right? I changed my diet. I started seeing um, uh, an infertility acupuncturist specialist and just said like, what, what do I need to do? Tell me what to do. I drank the green juices. I did it all. And also my doctor increased the amount of medication. And said something like, you know, oh, it was probably, you know, they were sort of like, oh, you actually do need to be boosted here. And so I don't know what the change was, to be perfectly honest, with the second mm-hmm. cycle, right? Yes, my numbers, my, my medication numbers were higher. So there was like 
probably going to be better. But at the same time, like I loved my acupuncturist. Those sessions were really, really amazing where I could just like lie somewhere and just like focus on myself and like get help with all of this. I, I also- did it too with my third child or my third attempted pregnancy. It was amazing. I mean, there definitely are some some medical things that can happen, but I think just the stress, like reducing your stress during the process is huge. And I also, I kept telling her, I was like, this is reverse gaslighting. I'd be like, my hips hurt. She's like, oh yeah, because you're swollen, like you're swollen in the here and it travels outwards to your hips. And so all these things, like the clinical fact of IVF, which is a, a marvel, right? It's a scientific miracle that they can do this stuff. It is really nice to lie on a bed and have someone sort of say, no, 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 these things you're feeling are totally normal. Oh, you have headaches? Of course. Like she was sort of someone saying like, you know, you 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 have a lot of hormones in you right now. Like these are all normal things. And so that part of it really helped me. Um, we just had a better, a better retrieval the second time. Um, and we had more eggs and then more embryos. And then the did math. you go from the first um, retrieval immediately to doing another one? Yeah, I started the first one around like July 4th weekend. And I did the mm-hmm. second one around like Labor Day. I mean, sorry, I started both cycles. So it was like yeah. the, the okay. holidays, the 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 bookends of summer um, Got in many ways. But um, yeah, I, I had much better results the second time. And I told my doctor, I was like, I did acupuncture this time. He's like, yeah, we also upped your meds. <laughs> I'm like, so Whatever I'm like, yeah, you want to yeah. think What's happened. the difference? But yeah, I mean, and the math broke better the second time, right? Where okay. some of the ones that were chromosomally abnormal also had BRCA. And I ended up with one female embryo um, mm-hmm. and two males and um, I, I, one female embryo and three male embryos that were, were, were good. And I felt really good about myself. I felt like we had done this. I had, I had did it a second time, but the funny thing is that psychologically that second time put me in a place where I was like, okay, I, I get it now. I can sort of start to consider myself, you know, I, I didn't, it's not that I didn't want sort of like the sisterhood of infertility, but I almost felt like I didn't deserve it because so many people have, have it so much worse than I had. Right. I started here. And I think that it calls a- like that all the time. People always start the conversation. Like I only went yeah. through da, 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 da. And I, I always it's say not so bad. Yeah. They, I don't know why the justification like to me, uh, everybody has their own experience, really. And I, it's not a, it's not a, um, right. It's not a sisterhood you want to be a part of, but so many people are a part of it. Um, okay. But I almost so, felt like I didn't deserve, like I, I didn't want to, to sort of diminish what, I don't know. It's, it's a weird thing that I think women do specifically, mm-hmm. which, and it's, it happens again with birth, right? Oh, we were in NICU, but only for a few days or things were bad, but it wasn't so, it's not the worst story I've ever right. heard. I mean, I think we do a lot of that. So um, we were really happy with, with that second retrieval and um, we decided to do a transfer. I mean, it all happened, like there's so much time baked in, right? Because by the time mm-hmm. I, did, I did my second retrieval in mid-September um, and then in November, I started the, the shots to do a transfer. Okay. And I had one female embryo and I was sort of like, let's go. I I had this moment of like, I decide which one goes in. Like that was like one thing where I, my husband's like, yeah, of course that's fine. Like, but I was just like, "Ah, I'm that girl. Okay. Yeah. Like as though I needed something. Um, but yeah, I decided that I wanted to implant the little female embryo. And it's so funny. I was at, um, the day of the transfer, the doctor walks in and he's like, 
do you know what you're, you're like, do you know what you're implanting basically? Cause I know a lot of people say like, just give me the best one, you know? And of course these embryos are ranked and this is the day five double, like it's like an AP embryo at this point, right? Like it's all honors, everything like that. <laughs> yep. um, Cause we are measuring everything just, you know, from even, even before we get started with this. But um, I, so I said, yes. And at the same time I said, yes. And I said, the female embryo. And he said, the girl. <laughs> and I was like, here, I'm trying to be so clinical about this because it's like, I need to think of it as a female embryo. Um, but he was like the girl. Um, and so we did the transfer. And I remember so many times they like, they said, what's your name? What's your date of birth? Look at this embryo. It has your, what's your partner's name? What's his date of birth? Like, what is this your embryo? Is this in fact your embryo? Here is your embryo. You see this, your embryo. We are transferring it right now. Um, and I remember after they said, it's a, it was a very sticky embryo. They were really happy with it. And I remember just like lying on that bed that they wheel you into for like 15 minutes after. And just, I had this picture of the embryo and I just held it. And I was like, this is like something amazing just happened. Like I was sort of overwhelmed. I mean, it's, it's hard because it's so scientific. It's so clinical, but at the same time, I'm like something crazy just happened. Like something amazing just happened. And I'm, I'm all in at this point, right? Like, I, I think I was trying to give myself like the clinical distance about this being like, oh, spreadsheets, Google Docs, this, that. But like, I felt very emotional in that moment. Um, and then of course you have the nine days to see if it took. Um, and we got the call right before Thanksgiving that it did, it took, um, and I was pregnant. And it was, and then it was amazing. It was the most exciting thing. And then you go and you do like every day, you do more blood tests every day, they do a s ultrasound. And I think like, in my first three weeks of pregnancy, I got more ultrasounds than most people get throughout their entire pregnancy if they don't do mm -hmm. IVF. But even then it was like, oh, it's, it's in the it's a weird spot. Is it ectopic? Maybe? Oh, I don't know. And and I was making my it was, it was crazy making because you're just you're so over screened because there are so potentially so many things that happen that I was just like, there's no way that this is gonna, like, there's no way that's in this weird spot. It's too small. It's this and that. And then, you know, it, it worked, right? It worked. I kept going back and finally they were like, okay, you're ready to go to your OB. And like, I was pregnant and I had a baby in June of 2021, little Edith Cohen, um, Edith Isadora. And even so it's, it's, it's so funny because I, I sort of bracket off the part about how this all happened because in some ways, like I, I don't, I don't, it's hard. It's hard because I have a, a what feels like a really specific journey. And someone actually in my mother's group, my mom's group, like a Zoom group, um, had sort of something similar. And it's it's like it's it's almost its own subcategory of the larger fertility conversation, the genetic screening question. Um, I don't know. That's my story. So we, I, I appreciate you sharing your story. And I think it's true when I said like people come to me and they have their own, well, I'm only going through this. Right? Yeah. So one of the things that we pride ourselves on as an organization is the fact that we're not just trying to bring babies into the world. We're trying to bring healthy babies. We love our partners. Um, I'm sure, you know, Jay Screen. So we love our Jay Screen partners. And now that they have this BRCA component, we are happy to work with them to, you know, help weed out the bad and help people really bring families in. It does come with its own set of like, 
where do I fit in? Um, sometimes we can offer like support specifically for this group, but at the same time, like my, my question to you is like, you still went through infer like the infertility process. Yeah. You still went through IVF. You still had to do all the shots. You still had to have the stress. You still had to like be worried about an ectopic pregnancy. I don't know. It doesn't seem that's your own journey. So no, and it's, and the, the craziest thing was like. I was, I felt like it was important for me to be very open about what I was doing, um, mm -hmm. that Raqqa is a thing that exists and that it affects men. Like people don't know that. And so I was sort of thinking like, I'm telling everyone I know that I'm doing, I mean, not necessarily in the moment that I'm doing it. Cause it's actually right. like kind of felt important to keep that circle pretty small, but I was very open about the fact that this was an IVF pregnancy and that there was. So did you share it problem. on unorthodox and so, what did you share? It's so funny because so I've been we've been doing this podcast for since 2015. Me, um, my two co-hosts, Leah Leibowitz and Mark Oppenheimer, and we're like this hilarious. I mean, it's hilarious that we are this like dysfunctional family is the wrong way to put it. But we are we, we we love and hate each other, right? We fight all the time. We we laugh about things. We talk about you know what it means to be Jewish in the world today. We there are funny news stories. There are scary news stories. We have ha had our own evolutions. Um, all involved at my wedding like we you know we it, and we have this listener community that's just incredible people were sending me wedding gifts i mean it's just, it was just the funniest thing and we you know we read mail and from our listeners all the time so they really felt like they knew us which was always kind of an amazing and gratifying thing as i told you before i'm always surprised that anyone listens to our show let alone lots of people who feel connected to it but i felt like it was something important um at the same time i this was a really private piece of my life all of a sudden, right? Like, especially with all the monitoring, right? Where you're like, I don't know when I want to talk about this. Um, and I actually remember talking to my therapist about this being like, when do I tell my friends? And when do I tell the podcast? Because, you know, it felt sacred in many ways. Um, and I forget when it was that I actually said it. But I someone I forget someone on our team was like you should just show like you should just not be there one day and be like oh she had a baby and someone was like I think people would be really upset if that's how they found out and I was like this is so crazy but I think I waited until I waited a while and finally I was like hey guys and I pretend it was all on zoom at the time so I, I we, we did an opening that was like we haven't seen each other in a while and I was like okay guys I have something to tell you and I basically like I'm in my closet at this point because we were recording in our closets at that time um and so I like kind of I get up and I show everyone my big stomach and everyone's like, oh, no. And it was obviously they knew uh, my co-host knew, but um, it was really special and really exciting. And um, we had put together a whole pregnancy episode that was going to air like right before I went on leave. Um, what, what a euphemism went on leave. Uh, um, and I was going to do a component of it about Braca. Mm -hmm. And I had was working on it. Things were getting delayed. I ended up. <laughs> If you listen to the episode, which aired the week Edith was born, um, Edith arrived early. Uh, I was induced at 37 weeks. Um, and the beginning of the episode is me leaving my producer a voicemail being like, hey, Josh, uh, I can't finish my segment. Something came up. I'll, I'll, be, I'll, I'll get back to you. And there were sort of like hints throughout. But the whole thing was I was going to do this segment on Braga and like talk to my doctor and basically like pro, you know, use myself as um, sort of the storytelling mechanism to say, mm -hmm. like, here are the resources, here's what you can know, have it, you know, like, here's how you what you could do here are all these amazing resources, here's the places like like you guys. Um, and I didn't end up doing it. Um, it ended up just being, I think, an interview um, 
with Jay Screen because that was a piece oh, of the segment. Okay. But I, hadn't, I hadn't, we hadn't finished it in time because I actually right. went into labor and had the baby, which everyone said was an okay excuse. Um, I think so. I think so. Yeah. But, you know, uh, it's funny, even in doing a pregnancy episode, I did, I had an interview um, with this uh, Syrian Jew- Jewish journalist about like superstition. And I had all that we had done all, I basically like produced this episode all about Jewish pregnancy. Um, and I think I tried to do the same thing that I had done with like the spreadsheets and the, you know, the spreadsheets and the numbers. And I was like, if I just attack this as a journalist, it'll make sense. And I will understand Jewish pregnancy and I will like, understand what happens next. And of course, you know, woman plans, God laughs, right? Like all of my attempts to like explore this with distance, I ended up going to like, you know, being induced, having this whole thing. Like it was just, there was no, it, it didn't end up uh, protecting me from the, you know, the, the realities of, of, of labor, of childbirth, of, of having a baby. Um, but I, I think it's been really great to share this, you know, with all of my caveats and qualifications of like, oh no, I'm not presenting this as, oh, feel bad for me. Look what I went through. I'm, I think it's useful as someone who has a Jewish audience like I do right now, I feel lucky to have that, but I, I just feel like it's really important to talk about and to to say that. I mean, when I started telling people I, I had done IVF, it turned out everyone basically that I knew had done it. And I don't know that I would have known that had I not done it. I mean, it was just funny. I would, I tell my mom and she's like, oh yeah, I tell my friends, turns out all they're done. Like, it's like every, just sort of felt like you unlocked this world of people who all did it and, and kind of didn't talk about it for whatever reason. Welcome to our community. Um, can I ask what gave you strength? I know you said you went, you had a therapist during this time. What else gave you strength, you know, to know that things were going to be okay if they weren't exactly perfect? What'd you rely on? You had your so acupuncturist, yes, your therapist, uh, all my people. Um, this was all happening with the pandemic as a backdrop. So this is all mid 2020. And I think it felt really good to do something that felt extremely fundamentally generative, right? Like if everything was different, if we weren't doing, you know, we were all trying to be safe and to protect ourselves and each other and our world, right? And then I was doing this thing where I was sort of like trying to create life and trying to bring life in into this world in a responsible, um, in, in a thoughtful way. And so I think that starkness um, was really meaningful to me. Um, that like, maybe this was a really bleak time, but like here I was doing the ultimate hopeful thing, like the original thing <laughs> that we do when, you know, when we don't know what the future is, but the original sort of, you know, exercise in hopefulness. Um, I, I really like that. Look, I mean, I think, I think those things were really important to like those just sessions just sort of do something for myself. And I continued going through my pregnancy. Um, and that again was even just like a time to like sit in a dark room um for a little bit by myself i think we all sort of like try to say we can do it all and we can be tough than this and then it's like no if you don't take any any minutes for yourself you're not gonna ever you know refresh or regenerate or or i always think of those um recharging stations in like uh remember those like laser tag places and you had to like go to the recharge station and it's like that that was sort of what it felt like um but yeah but talking to people i mean being open about this was really important to me. And so, you know, being connected to people who were like a little bit ahead of me in the process, um, both with IVF and with pregnancy. And then people who were like, can I tell 
my friend that you're you just did this i'm doing this in a whisper voice because that's what it was like yeah. right and i said yeah one thousand percent i will tell every you know i got really really good advice from friends before i started um and from people who had been through this for you know for a while they you know the person who told me to keep a spreadsheet and she was like because then if you have to do it a second time you'll know exactly where you were at this day last time and that was amazing and that ended up being the spreadsheet that we kept throughout the entire pregnancy i, I calculate you know I every time i went to the doctor you know, everything is mm -hmm. there um, and it felt like creating a record, um, but it also was really useful information, all those levels and things like that. Um, she told me to put ice, to ice, to have ice packs and to ice before the shot and after. Like it was just little things like that, that I just, I felt like I could tell that to someone else and actually be, be helpful. And like, I've had friends go through this recently. And I said to them, I was like, you may think that you can control this because it's shots and science and you're doing this and i'm gonna enjoy like it you can't control any of this it's all a crapshoot and you can you can optimize but don't let the spreadsheet make you think that you're in control um we always say that there's like the science factor and then there's that little piece of the god factor like even you could do everything exactly, exactly according to plan and then there's that like piece that is out of your control and I think it's hard when everything is so regimented to then also say, like, you don't know how many you're going to get this time. You don't know if they're going to take. And so you can be like, I think in the beginning, I was like, okay, if I do the transfer on this day and then, okay, I can do, no, it was actually even before that. I was like, I can do a retrieval now and I get enough that I can do a transfer then and I can be pregnant. Like, and, then I can, and none of that happens, right? And like, even in my very mild infertility, like even in my mild journey, right? It wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And it, it it happened really quickly, right? Like I started in June, 2020, the whole IVF process. I had a baby in July, 2021. That is unbelievably lucky. Um, and I feel really fortunate about that. It still had all the opposite. Like it's, it's, I don't know. And I, I always think about the fact that I don't know how long it would have taken had, we, had none of this been not in play. Like, I just don't know. Um, because we don't ever know. I don't know. I think you're right. There's something very godly about this sort of like surrendering to the uncertainty here. Um, it could probably be exasperating um, if you get more than a small, if you're aware of like sort of more than a small dose of it. But I think it was sort of pretty moving for me. It's I. It's definitely hard for those control freaks like myself. And I think you, you said you are one as well. Um, but I think that I'm glad it worked out. And... Um, I just appreciate you being open. And I think that this is a huge shout out to JScreen and other genetic screening um, organizations or companies. Any like last pieces of advice, especially for what you've gone through? I wouldn't. I mean, it's so easy to say this and so hard to do it for yourself. But like, I just, you can't be hard on yourself because it feels like you're so responsible for all of this in a way. If I had just done this, if I hadn't, oh, should I have exercised more? Should I have exercised less? Should I have eaten this? Like, I think we can all make ourselves crazy wondering what it is that we, what role we played in all of this. And I think that there's just stuff outside of our control. And it's, I think for women today, it's really hard to sort of accept that because we are told that everything is something that we should manage, <laughs> moderate, deal with. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just think the less, the more you can get out of your head, um, again, things that I didn't do, but, uh, I can, I can tell other people to do it. Um, and to just try to distract yourself. I think those like nine days where you wait after the transfer were really hard. Mm -hmm. And I think I had this moment where I was like, I 
can I need to just make myself really busy. I need to not think about which number day it is. I need to just like pack these days with things and activities. Um, and then I don't know. I mean, it's really it's hard. It's really it's so much uncertainty and embracing that, uh, accepting that is is hard for people. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today, Stephanie. You're awesome. Um, and I'm glad, we're, I'm glad we're friends now. Yes. So, well, I, you yeah. came on our show and I was like, can I come on your show? Do I, am I, do I qualify? <laughs> can, I, can, I, can we talk more? This you is really qualify. Fun. You absolutely qualify. Um, welcome to our sisterhood and um, give Edith a cute kiss from us. So thank you. thank you and talk soon. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure and a privilege to be here. Thanks for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Fruitful and Multiplying. And as always, reach out with more podcast ideas and feedback. And don't forget to follow us on social media at Jewish Fertility Foundation.